We interview Kevin Reeves, the creator of our theme music. We've got another new contest from iRocks USA. This is my Mac podcast number 64. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com podcast. from the MyMac.com studios. It's your hosts, Tim Robertson and Chad Perry. Yeah, welcome to another exciting edition of the MyMac.com podcast. Got a lot to talk about again today. Good news. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm Chad Perry. You know, it could be the first time someone listened to this, so I guess we ought to say who we are right at the beginning, right? Yeah. Every now and then we should do that. Let's jump right into the news. Our news coming from a variety of sources this week. Most notably, MacMinute.com. You're up to the to the date Mac news in a minute. <laughs> uh, news item from January 19th, actually the day we're recording this podcast, Disney is in talks to acquire Pixar. The Walt Disney Company is reportedly in serious talks to acquire Pixar Animation Studio, following months of exploring how to continue their profitable film distribution partnership. The Wall Street Journal reported today, citing unnamed people familiar with the plan, the journal said... Disney would pay a nominal premium to Pixar's current market value of U.S. $6.7 billion under the deal being discussed in a stock transaction that would make Pixar chief executive, Steve Jobs, the largest individual shareholder in Disney. Boy, you know what, though? Here's my thought. This would be great if Disney becomes like Pixar. You know, I was thinking the exact same thing because I know a lot of independent artists who don't have anything positive to say about how Disney runs their business or manages their talent. If if the next, if this happens and Pixar ends up doing Bambi 2 Return to the Woods, then, you know, that's going to suck. Yeah. But my only glimmer of hope is that Steve Jobs being the largest individual shareholder is going to take some sort of control over Disney and I think he himself will weed out the minutia that is the the Disney crap that they... I mean, let's be honest. Disney's music uh, movies lately have pretty much sucked. Mm. The only thing they got going for them is Pixar. That's their big winner. They lose Pixar. Disney's in major trouble. Mm-hmm. If if they buy Disney and... Because think about it. What, when's the last time Steve Jobs was the head of a company that was bought by a larger company? Can you think of that? Hmm. He he was in charge of a company Next. called Next. Yeah, he was in charge of Next, which was bought out by by Apple. Yeah. So he was the owner of a company, the largest shareholder of a company that was bought out by Apple, and what ended up happening? Yeah. He CEO. he became <laughs> the head of Apple. Soon to be the king of all media, Steve <laughs> Jobs. I think his if this happens, I think history is going to repeat itself, and I think eventually Steve Jobs. The charismatic leader of Apple Computer and Pixar, who and who soon to be Walt Disney, indisputably like. is the leader in both their markets. Nobody makes animated films as well as Pixar. Right. Don't get me wrong. I like Shrek, but I don't think Shrek holds a candle next to The Incredibles or Finding Nemo. No. And and Apple obviously, we're recording a Mac podcast. Apple obviously makes the best personal computers out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think history may be repeating itself. And how good is Apple doing? 
Well, Apple reports the highest earnings in the company's history. This is from yesterday, January 18th. Apple today announced financial results for its fiscal 2006 first quarter into December 31st, 2005, reporting the highest revenue and earnings in the company's history. Apple posted revenue of 5.75 billion US and a net quarterly profit of 565 million or 65 cents per diluted share in this 14-week quarter. These results compare to revenue of 3.49 billion and a net profit of 295 million or 35 cents per diluted share in the year ago Quarter. Apple shipped 1,254,000,000 Macintosh computers. 1,254,000. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and 14,043,000 iPods during the quarter. A yeah. quarter. Representing a 20% growth in Macs and a 207% growth in iPods. That is insane. <laughs> it's, it's almost obscene that they sent uh, they sold that many. Yeah. But you know that it, it I don't think there's any 1,254,000 Macintosh computers were sold in that quarter. And now mm-hmm. think about this. Most people in the know knew that Apple was switching the Intel processor. Mm-hmm. And still they sold uh 1.2 million Macs. Yeah, but don't you think that the Intel thing is really more for the Mac faithful followers? No. No? No. Mm-mm. Nope. So you and don't think that the average computer buyer is, is... So you think the average computer buyer is sitting and waiting for the new Intel Mac stuff? Yes. You do? I, I, think, I think a lot of people that are on Windows PCs thinking about making the switch to Apple heard that Apple is switching over to the Intel mm-hmm. processors, and they went, ooh, I'm going to wait for that. Why? Because, let's get to the next story, Microsoft on virtual PC for Intel-based Macs, January 18th. This is a report from MacMinute.com. Microsoft has issued a statement on the development status of virtual PC uh, for Intel-based Macs. The Mac business unit recognizes the need for the product and believes it it is the best virtualization solution for power PC users. So it is committed to providing virtual PC to new and existing PowerPC customers. However, Microsoft is still discussing with Apple the feasibility feasibility of bringing virtual PC for Mac to Intel-based Macs in the future and has not made any announcements about if, how the product might work on the new machines. Mm. So reading between the lines, what's that tell you? That chances are there's not going to be a virtual PC for Intel Macs. They'll because? Be, they'll be running the actual... OS. Exactly. OS, you're not going to you're not going to need virtual PC and emulation program. They're going to continue making it for a while anyways for the power PC based Macs, which is at the moment uh 99.99999% of all Macintosh <laughs> computers out there. Right. A few people have the I, the Intel iMacs already. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe I don't know, 20,000 people if that. Yeah. Um so the, the they're going to continue the power PC version for um no, the virtual PC version for PowerPC. I don't think you're going to need virtual PC to run Windows Vista on a Macintosh mm-hmm. this time next year. If, yeah. If, you know, if Vista goes. actually ships. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, it, and I think it's um, telling that Microsoft is basically saying, well, we don't know how feasible it's going to be to make virtual PC for Intel Macs. Because they know what's happening. Yeah. And it's going to help Microsoft either way. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're going to sell more copies of Vista to Mac users, what do they care? They don't don't care what the color or the manufacturer of the box is. No. 
No, and you're right, they don't. Next story, iTunes reaches 14% of active internet universe. Nielsen Net Ratings today announced that traffic to Apple's iTunes website and the use of the iTunes application has soared to 241% over the past year, from 6.1 million unique visitors in December 2004 to 20.7 million in December 2005, reaching nearly 14% of the active internet populations. I think that's just an amazing figure, and um, quite honestly, it's 241% over the past year. I gotta figure that this podcast is responsible for at least half of that. <laughs> you wish. I wish. Here's another interesting statistic they cite: is that 54 percent of the traffic is male and 46 percent female. That is interesting. That is very interesting. That's virtually a tie. Yeah. Statistically speaking, 54 to 46 percent. That's mm-hmm. that's nothing. So there's as many women using iTunes as men, pretty much. Yeah. That's that is a very telling. We, you know what that means? We need a female co-host. Yeah. Microsoft set to release mouse keyboard for the Mac from January 13th at MacMinute.com. According to a report on TechWeb, Microsoft today said it plans to release a mouse and keyboard combo specifically designed for the Mac for the first time this summer. The, pa- the package carries a suggested retail price of 100 bucks. Microsoft, however, cannot get permission to use the Apple logo normally found on the key at the bottom left of the Apple keyboard. So the key will have a clover instead, okay. <laughs> notes the report. Uh, there are certain features Mac users want that are missing in one keyboard targeting both platforms, a Microsoft spokesman said. Um, it will feature Microsoft's curvy ergonomic design and provide a more natural fit for the hand. That's obviously about the mouse. In addition, the new mouse will offer Microsoft's high-definition laser technology. Yep. So if you get bored at work, you can burn the crap out of your co-worker's earlobe with it. Or even, say, heat your meal. So. <laughs> heat your meal. You don't even have to leave your cubicle now. You just put your mouse on top of your little can of soup. and I'm making toast. <laughs> click like crazy. <laughs> click, 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 click. <clears throat> uh, I found this on Macworld, mm-hmm. uh, macworld.com. Yep. Konica Minolta Photo Imaging Incorporated has decided to withdraw from the photo business. It said Thursday, the Japanese company plans to exit the film and digital camera markets by March this year and will transfer part of its assets assets related to digital SLR cameras to Sony Corp. Wow. Wow, I know. That's, I mean, that's big news. Konica Minolta is getting out of cameras. That's So, so what are they going to, are they just going to hit the, the high-end I... photographers then with the, the top quality Film-based stuff. Yeah, I I don't know. Well, they they this says they're going to withdraw from the photo business. What else do they do? I don't know anything that they do other than I'm I'm sure I'm showing my ignorance here, but I don't know anything that they do outside that business. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, if if you were looking at buying a Konica Minolta camera, digital or film, not soon. Might want to get a Sony instead or a Casio yeah, or something else. They're so. going bye bye. Yeah, this is from MacWorld UK. Final Cut Pro removed from sale. Apple has confirmed that Final Cut Pro and other applications within the Final Cut Studio will no longer be available individually. The company hopes to direct customers for any one of those programs, including Final Cut Pro, DVD Studio Pro 4, Motion 2, and Soundtrack Pro, and Production Suite into purchasing Final Cut Studio. A note on Apple's website confirms the quietly delivered news. 
After January 10, 2006, the individual applications in Final Cut Studio will only be available as part of the suite. The company is offering owners of any of the constituent applications a discount deal that lets them upgrade less punitively. To make it easy for our customers to make the move to Final Cut Studio, we're offering amazing deals to current owners of Final Cut Pro, DVD Studio Pro 4, Motion 2, Soundtrack Pro, and Production Suite. When you take available, when you take advantage of this offer, you'll get the universal version of Final Cut Studio when it becomes available. The universal version, a version that runs natively on both PowerPC and Intel processors, will ship by March 31st, the company said. Owners of Final Cut Pro 5 can upgrade to Studio for $99. The upgrade costs $199 for owners of the other applications that make up the suite, or for those using Final Cut Pro 4, Final Cut Pro HD, or Production Suite. Owners of previous iterations of the video editing application must pay $699. New users, the cost of Final Cut Pro Studio will be probably $1,299. That's, wow. You can't buy just Final Cut Pro anymore. you got to buy this whole, the whole studio. suite. And if you haven't bought it before, $1,300. Yeah. Hmm. I've never actually used it. Have you ever played with it, or do you have it? I've got Final Cut Pro. I've got, um, let me see, let me look at these again. I don't have uh, DVD Studio Pro. And I don't have Motion, but I do have Final Cut Pro, and I do have Soundtrack Pro. Hmm. So I've got two of the four um, bought a long time ago, but they've been upgraded yeah. uh, consistently since. But honestly, uh, at, at this point, I don't really use either one of those applications much at all anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm going to be upgrading anytime soon. So yeah. the next time I upgrade, I might have to go buy the whole $1,300 version. Uh, I, I found that this is pretty interesting up at Macworld.com. Jason Snow has a first look uh, benchmark scores for the new Intel iMac, and unlike Apple's marketing claim that it's being you know two times faster than the current G5 iMacs, real-world tests show that it's only about 10 to 20 percent faster. Yeah, I, I looked that over with his numbers in there. That was a really good analysis. This is a good, did. yeah. You know, we don't really care about these. You know, all companies. I'm not gonna say Apple's the only one that does this because that's obviously not true. But the marketing companies want specific numbers that show this is so much faster than it was before. Mm -hmm. Because why would you want to upgrade if you just bought a new iMac G5? Yeah. Why are you going to want to buy the Intel iMac? Mm -hmm. You're not going to want to. Even though Apple claims it's twice as fast, not really. Not in real world use, it's, it's not. Now, uh, last week, I know we were going to talk a little bit about the new hardware, and we do have a couple more, a couple things uh, that have come up about the new iMacs. Yeah, you, you can't boot the new iMacs with a startup disk, you know, CD or DVD, mm -hmm. that you could use to boot a G5. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, um, because it's a new chip and the way it starts up, it doesn't work. So if right. you t if you get a brand new iMac, the Intel, mm -hmm. you can't take the the startup disk and boot up another computer with it. It only works on an Intel Mac. Yeah. Um, also, Classic does not work on the Intel Macs. In other words, if you're still using uh, Classic, well, you know this signifies that at long last, Apple has completely dropped all support for pre Mac OS X applications or operating systems. Yeah, if you've been on been limping along with uh, any application running on Classic, uh, now's the time to move on. It's pretty much done with. Yeah, the days of Classic are over. Yep. So, uh, I guess the next question is how will PowerPC coded games run on the Intel Macs? I didn't see any real discussion on that. No, yet. nobody's talked about this yet. You know, 
it's one thing to say, well, you know, I'm a, I don't know, a Microsoft Word user. I'm using um, any any third party application. Mm -hmm. um, if if I go with an Intel Mac, how will it run on my computer? And even if it doesn't run that great right now, you know, there's probably going to be an update for it. Mm -hmm. But what's the one type of programs that are never updated? in that fashion. And it's games, of games. course. There, you don't see a version 2.0 of StarCraft, version 3. Mm -hmm. point, every year there's not a new version of that game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you bought a game and it runs natively on a regular Mac, Mac Although OS I X, will say that Blizzard has been very good about updating their... Blizzard's one of the rare companies right. that are. Um, what do you do? What do you, will your old games run on the Intel Mac under Rosetta? And if they do run on Rosetta, how will they actually? How well will they actually run? How I, fast will they be? You know, I, I, without having an Intel Mac myself, and I honestly don't plan on getting one anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Still, without owning one myself, I'm going to give people the bad news and say games aren't going to run for crap. No, um, they're very graphic intensive. They're very timing intensive. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of music, a lot of sound, and I just don't think it's going to run very well at all under Rosetta. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, a, a sprite-based game like War, the first couple of Warcrafts or Starcraft mm -hmm. and stuff like that, that probably will run okay mm -hmm. in emulation. Uh, but something like Warcraft 3 or Worlds of Warcraft, Warcraft those type of games, I don't think they're going to run at all under Rosetta. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, and I hope I am, because... Quite honestly, there's a lot of Mac users out there that really enjoy playing games on their computer. Mm -hmm. And if they upgrade to a new Intel Mac, I've got bad news that it's probably not going to work. Yeah. At least not in any kind of playability mode. Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about. If you're if you're a hardcore Mac gamer and you're drooling thinking about this all this new power and speed on the Intel Macs... You may have to wait a couple months for developers to catch up with what's or, going on. Or at least don't throw away your old machine if you still want to play those. Yeah. Because... You know, just because you're going to buy a new Mac doesn't necessarily mean your old Mac is bad. No. Of course, you might want to try selling on eBay and recoup some of the cost of the new machine. Mm -hmm. But if you're a hardcore gamer, you just might want to hold on to that G5 iMac or Power Mac or whatever you've got. Mm -hmm. So, uh, next question that uh, I think we've been bannering about a little bit is, why did Apple start the Intel Macs with the iMac and the MacBook Pro? Any, you know, uh, I, you know yeah. well, we talked about before... Uh, Steve Jobs' keynote, obviously, that uh, we thought there's going to be some kind of a media center Mac mm -hmm. out there. We were wrong. I still think that's coming. Yeah. But the more I think about it, it was absolutely the right thing for Apple to do to start with the iMac and the PowerBook as a transition machine. Those are their two big sellers. Mm -hmm. More people buy PowerBooks and more people buy iMacs than any other Mac out there that's, right. that's for sale. So if you want to transition quickly... And you want to get people okay. That's what I'm going to buy. What do you tra do? You transition the mini that's not sold as often, right? Do you transition the high end machines? No. <laughs> so what do you transition? You got yeah, to transition the, go the consumer. Yeah. The, what did surprise me at first was they went with the PowerBook before the iBook. But the more I think about it, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. You don't want to can. I mean, why would you want to release an iBook before the MacBook Pro? Mm -hmm. Um. And it's going to be weird. I'm going to use PowerBook for the for the sake of this conversation. Mm -hmm. You don't want the iBook to cannibalize the sales of your higher-end machine because, right. obviously, they're making more money with the PowerBook than they are the mm -hmm. iBook. So if they came out with an Intel-based iBook to begin with, 
that would definitely kill sales for the PowerBook. Mm-hmm. So why not upgrade the high-end machine first because those customers have more money to spend. Yeah. They're going to sell. And then down the line, say six months down the line, when or even say, let, let's say nine months down the line, when Intel comes out with a 64-bit dual-core mm-hmm. core duo processor, you take the 64-bit dual-core processor at a higher clock speed, put that in the MacBook Pro, Mm-hmm. And then you bring out the new iBook with the 32-bit, a little bit slower Intel processor. Mm-hmm. That way you don't cannibalize your higher-end sales, and that's where Apple makes out their money. Right. So to me, it makes perfect sense why they went with that route. And iMac is self-evident. I mean, that's their big seller. Yeah. When people think Apple and Macintosh computers, uh, unfortunately, they don't think of iBooks. They don't think of Power Mac G5s. They mm-hmm. think of iMac. Yeah. That's... Because really, that's all Apple really advertises nowadays is the iMac. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense for them to roll the iMac out first. Well, would you also think that the uh, iMac purchases, purchasers are least sensitive to that kind of an upgrade as far as they're not that worried about... Backwards what, compatibility? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I would say that I, I without having any access to internal Apple documents to say how many iMac users are are brand new Mac users Mm -hmm. compared to how many are current Mac users transitioning. Um, There's probably more transition Mac users to the iMac than there are new users to the iMac. Mm -hmm. But we all know that the the iPod halo effect is real. Mm -hmm. That more people are... and You know, I I get email from users all the time saying, I just started using the Mac, it's great, and... uh, this is why, and I can't believe it took me this long. And so there's a lot of people transitioning into the Mac. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that's a valid point that more iMac users are less concerned with using a machine that none of their old software will run on, as compared to someone that's going to buy a G5 Power Mac. Mm-hmm. If if you're a power user, you probably have a lot more expensive applications that you're going to want to transfer over to the new machine. Right. You did, for instance. Mm-hmm. You went from a Power Mac G4 to a Power Mac G5. Mm-hmm. You didn't buy any new applications when you got your new G5. No. If you're an iMac user, if you went from an old iMac to a new iMac, not too many designers are using older iMacs or newer iMacs to design. They'll probably get the more mm-hmm. expandable G5. Right. So I think you're right. I think that you know the transition for a, the average iMac user is less than it would be, you know, a, a pro machine. Well, what's the average consumer actually interested in running anyways? They're interested in running iTunes. They're interested in running probably... Uh, the iLife Suite. The iLife Suite. Uh, Microsoft Office. Yep. And that will run. I mean, a lot of people... Well, Microsoft's uh, Word is a lot slower on the Intel iMac than it is uh, natively. Well, But yeah. who's most sensitive to that? Power users of Word. Right. And the average so word user who cares if it takes care. an extra yeah. ten seconds to launch under emulation as it would on the regular G five? Yeah, it's not going to make you type any faster once it's up and running, anyways. Mm-hmm. As long as you can still print, you still have access to all your libraries from within mm-hmm. um, Microsoft Word. Yep, that's really what people can I print? Can I save my work? Can I reopen it? Is there any formatting errors? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the kind of things that people would be concerned about. And if those are non-existent. I don't see a problem. Yeah, uh, I am curious if the the migration application within uh, the Mac OS, you know, how you you plug it in. And I was thinking the same thing as soon as we were, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but I thought the same thing when we. Oh, I remember when you said keep the old Mac. And yeah. I thought, 
how's the migration application going to work? Yeah, and I'm kind of curious about that myself. Because that was really one of the advantages of the G5 and having Tiger, because it made that thing just mindless. You want to explain to the listeners who don't know what we're talking about? The migration application basically was put into 10.4 Tiger, and what it does is it facilitates a transfer of your data and files from your old Mac to your new Mac, and instead of actually having to back everything up and load it, you can hook up with a FireWire, and it will do it all automatically. Yep, so when you boot up your new computer, guess what? It looks just like your old computer. Exactly. And that is a huge time saver. You used it from the G4 to the G5. Yep. And it was just like your old computer, except for amazingly faster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my old computer, just faster. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I'm very curious if... I know that the new iMacs have FireWire, but I am curious on how well that's going to work. And if you do that, I don't know. There's a lot of questions there. Where where does the emulation come into play? Mm-hmm. And if you're running an older, let's say you're running 10.4, but you haven't upgraded, and you get the new Intel iMac, which is running 10.4.4 mm-hmm. for Intel, how does it handle that migration upgrade? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very curious on knowing that. And I think we'll probably see some reports coming up on the Internet soon enough on... Yeah. Um, I don't know if any MyMac.com staffers are planning on upgrading anytime soon, but I know mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. And I've had a few emails from people asking me, should I upgrade to you know the MacBook Pro when it comes out in March? Should I get the new iMac? And you know, I, it's it's hard to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need a new Mac, don't hesitate. Buy what you need now. Yep. Um, but. If you don't need a new Mac right now, and uh, I, I gotta say no, don't buy the first generation. Mm-hmm. Let somebody else work all the bugs out. Yeah. Uh, when this way, if you wait six months, that many more applications are gonna be running natively, mm-hmm. or at least they're gonna have dual binary yeah. uh, installation, so it can run on a Power PC or Intel. Then you're gonna get right now. Don't be the pioneer for the new operating system. If you look back at when Apple went from the 68K Max to the Power Max, the first mm-hmm. one was the 601 chip, mm-hmm. they were dogs. I mean, they seemed fast at the time over what you were using before. Right. <clears throat> but pretty quickly, the 601 chip just it didn't last long. They jumped almost immediately to the 603 within a year or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, the 604 and PowerPC G3. And, mm-hmm. But, you know... If you were stuck with that 601 machine for a couple years after after the Power Max came out, it was a dog compared to what was coming out relatively quickly from Apple. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see the same thing. I think that these first two machines are stopgap measures. Mm-hmm. These are the transition machines to get people used to it. You don't want to be the transition user. Yeah. Let somebody else be that user. Uh, if you need a new Mac, though, go ahead and buy one. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like it's going to be obsolete. I hate no. when people say, oh, I just bought this computer and it's obsolete already. Really? It, it stopped working? <laughs> it it doesn't work for you anymore? Is there something that the new machines can do that yours can't? Yep. No. It's the same. It's it's basically the same operating system. Mm-hmm. The applications all be, you know, behave the same way. Might be a little snappier. Might launch a little faster on mm-hmm. the new machines. But so what? Your Your current machine is still working just fine. Right. If your machine breaks, that's a different matter. Right. And I got four or five years out of my, uh, like four years out of my G4, and I plan on getting four years out of my G5. Exactly. Um, I've had my G5 for a little over two years now. Mm -hmm. And 
obviously I'd like to get an Intel Mac because it's going to be a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm going to wait. Yeah. I don't want an iMac, and I don't want the MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot. This is another reason I think that this is more of a stopgap transition computer because they didn't change anything at all on the MacBook Pro compared to the G4 iBook or mm-hmm. PowerBook. Yeah, they added front row and the remote and a little built-in eyesight, but that's really not change. It, it physically looks the same. Mm-hmm. I've heard that the battery life is almost exactly the same, and that kind of surprises me because I thought the Intel chips were supposedly a lot more... Yeah, I noticed that they were surprisingly silent about what the actual battery life is because I'm sure that if it was... If it was that much better, they would have been touting it at Macworld Expo when they rolled them out. But, but I thought the whole thing about Intel is you get more power for at the at lower watt. Yeah. Which, to me, would indicate longer battery life. Mm-hmm. So why aren't these getting longer battery life? And that may be something that still needs to be weeded out. And I think that's why, when I say that this is a transition machine... I believe that. I think that this is just a machine just to get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. One, I think it was a Forbes uh, interview. Steve Jobs actually said, well, the form factor of the current G4 and the new uh, MacBook Pro is perfect. We couldn't see any way of improving it. And I thought, oh, if that's not marketing speak. Yeah. I mean, you can't see any way of improving it. I don't know. How about taking a couple inches off of it? There's mm-hmm. an idea. How about making them all have glowing keyboards? Mm-hmm. There's an idea. Yep. Speaking of glowing keyboards, uh, let's jump on to our email real quick. I th- I got this and I forwarded it to you because, uh, or no, he sent it to you too, right didn't there. he? Yeah. Where is it? There it is. Go ahead and read it. And this is from uh, Larry Winward, who won our iRox keyboard last week in the yep. contest. He says, uh, hello, Tim and Chad. Delighted iRock's keyboard was delivered today. Very nice. I like the look and feel of the keyboard. I see what you mean about having some reservations. My one and only thing is that it's hard to see whether it's lighted or unlighted. It looks a bit busy with the translucent keycaps. Maybe the PowerBook has me spoiled with its lighted etched-out keycap characters. Otherwise, the tactile feel and size is excellent. It certainly will be a keeper for me. Go ahead. By the way, I also received iLife 06 today. All went well with the installations. First, I made sure I backed up my system with SuperDuper. When I was a Windows user, I never had any luck with backups. <laughs> with SuperDuper in the Mac, whole system backups are now a breeze. I no longer sweat system updates. With two tested backups, and if things go awry, then it's easy to go back. I couldn't do that with Windows. One day, I just got fed up and said to my brother, I'm getting a Mac. Now I can't stand to look at Windows, even for a minute. I have no regrets about switching, although I still need to move over some emails from Incredimail into Thunderbird. By the way, my younger brother made the switch, and he loves his Mac to death, too. We both made the switch last April and made Apple a little richer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks a lot, Larry. Yeah, Um, thanks, Larry. First, uh, I should say, by the time this podcast goes live, my written review will be up on the IROX keyboard, so you guys want to definitely go up there and take Mm -hmm. a look. I gave it a three and a half out of five. Mm -hmm. There are... It was funny, when I first read this email, he mentioned something that I mentioned in my review, that the entire key is lit up rather than, like, just the letter. If it was just the letter, I would like that a lot better. I think that would, it'd be more pleasing in the eye, and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be, so it's, and the the markings on the keys themselves are small, so Mm -hmm. it's hard to see even when it's lit up sometimes. Mm. But I still like it, don't get me wrong, I like the keyboard, and without the inclusion of a built-in USB hub... That was, you know, I, I had to mark it down a little bit for that as well. Yeah. I actually sent them a copy of my review uh, so they can look at some of the facts to see if I got anything wrong. And I do that with a lot of manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I don't let them change my review, and they're not going to influence anything I have to say for it. Right. 
And obviously, uh, IROX is hoping for a better than a three and a half out of five. Mm -hmm. That's a slightly better than an average rating. But that doesn't mean I didn't like the keyboard. I do. I think mm -hmm. it's a really cool keyboard. She said, uh, my contact at the company actually told me, she goes, uh, it seems that a lot of Mac users expect a USB hub in with the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And she said, so when people actually buy the keyboard, we're going to include a USB hub. It's not built into the... Mm -hmm. And, and that got me thinking, you know what? On every PC that you buy, you don't plug the mouse into the keyboard on a PC. No. You, plug you have a super PC. long mouse cord that yep. you plug it directly to the PC, and the keyboard goes directly to the PC. Mm -hmm. Whereas on a Mac, for forever, you plug the keyboard or the mouse into the keyboard, and then the keyboard into the computer. Yep. And if you have a newer Mac uh, with, say, a cinema display, you plug the keyboard into your monitor. Mm -hmm. And it's so much less wire clutter, but I never really thought about it that way, that... PC users are used to having are used to having two cords running from their computer, um, mouse and keyboard, all the way to the CPU itself. Mm -hmm. And Mac users are not used to that. Yeah. So them not including a USB hub inside the keyboard for a Windows user, that's, that they probably didn't even think about that. But for mm -hmm. a Mac user, we immediately go, eh, I can't plug nothing into the keyboard. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's little things like that that you just take completely take for granted as a Mac user that when it's pointed out to you, you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I didn't even think of that. No, and, and you're exactly right. And I think one of the convenient things about having that, you know, the fact that at least on my the G5, I have two USB ports on the keyboard, one for the mouse and one for a flash drive or for a iPod shuffle. Either one you can use that in. Yeah, exactly. And it's a lot more convenient to just stick it in your keyboard and do your updates, transfer your files, and have to bend over and... Yeah, what a yeah. pain. <laughs> I mean, that's just such a pain. And if you got like an iMac or something, you'd have to reach behind the computer and mm -hmm. and to plug things into or on the side or yeah. you know, it's just I like to have the extra USB ports on the keyboard. So I could plug mm -hmm. my mouse in there if I want to. Obviously having a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard would be, you know, the way to go. Yeah. I have and I have to do a review of this, I keep forgetting. I have a trackball that's USB that I'm testing with the Mac Mini. Mm -hmm. I'll get to that. But uh, the other thing that I didn't like about the IROX keyboard was no volume control. Mm -hmm. And that was another reason that I, I yeah. had to mark it down a little bit. But, you know, I still like the keyboard. And I think most Mac users would probably enjoy having it. Sure. So, you know what? We're going to give another one away. Great. Having another contest. Woohoo! Mm -hmm. And this was a, a late addition to the podcast because I was, oh, maybe 10 minutes from coming over to. Uh, record the podcast with Chad and uh, I get an email from IROX and they were very pleased on what was happening and said we can give another keyboard away. Cool. So let's do it. What do we got to do, Chad? How do, how do our listeners get a chance to get a free keyboard like Larry? They need to send us an email with IROX USA in the subject line and in the body of the email they need to provide us their name, address, and telephone number so we can get it shipped out to them. And they can send that out to contest at gmail.com. No. No? No. Contest at mymac.com. Yes. Sorry. Don't send it to contest at gmail.com. Contest at mymac.com. <laughs> That's right. And uh, if you want to contact Chad or I, it is mymacpodcast at gmail.com. That's what I was thinking. Or if you're thinking about individually, you just want to send an email to Tim, that would be me, to spread some false rumors about Chad, just send that to <laughs> Tim at MyMac.com. Or if you'd like to spread some false rumors about Tim, you can send it to me at Chad Perry at MyMac.com. Probably wouldn't be a false rumor if it's about me. Yeah. I'm not always a good guy. Uh, one last thing before we jump to our... In, in, 
it's kind of weird because Chad and I are actually doing the podcast in reverse order. We've already done our interview with mm-hmm. Kevin, which our listeners will hear after the break. Yep. Uh, but when Chad and I get done right now, we're we're done with the podcast because mm-hmm. we've already done the other part. Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be the end for Chad and I. Um, you guys will hear the rest of the podcast, our interview with Kevin. Uh, went real well. I enjoyed it. Yeah. We're going to play a song at the very end of the podcast, so you're not going to get any of the contact information that you're used to. So definitely drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, that's all I've got today. And that's it for me. We're oh, going to wait, hear wait, from wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. I got, got something really cool. I found this on the net. Oh, okay. If you're sitting in, if you're listening to your iPod, uh, listen to this on your iPod. This ain't going to help you, and you're probably not going to remember when you get mm-hmm. home. But if you are sitting at home and you're in front of them, your computer, right now, push these keys: Control, Option, Apple, and then the number eight key. Ooh, I'm doing it right now funky. for chat. For the, it, it inverts the colors. It gives you the reverse colors on your monitor than you're used to seeing. Mm. So what is white is black. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and if you do it again, it'll go back. Blue yeah. becomes kind of an orangish. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think that's just really neat. Look at that. Isn't that mm-hmm. cool? The drop shadows kind of look a little goofy. Yeah. But, man, that, it's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't know that, and I found that. I mean, it... It's a very high tech look if you have a lot of white space to look yeah, at, yeah. and everything. And it's just really a neat effect. So give that a try. Control Alt Apple, and then the number eight. Push them all at the same time. You'll inverse the colors on your screen. I know Tad Sheeler's listening to this probably at his work computer right now, and uh, flipping back and forth. Flipping back and forth, going positive. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Uh, hopefully we're going to be over Tad Sheeler's house for long-time podcast listeners. We've yeah. gone over there a few times, and mm-hmm. we're going to go over there again and have a little fun with Tad. So let's listen to our sponsors, and let's jump into the interview with Kevin Reeves. Were you lucky enough to get an iPod for Christmas? If you did, now maybe you need some accessories. This is Dawn from Small Dog Electronics. We're the largest Apple dealer in New England, and we've got iPod accessories coming out of our... Oops, <laughs> we've got a lot of iPod accessories. Like the Small Dog Groove Cube, a portable pair of speakers for your iPod, which cost only $29.95. Or the HipPod, a hip-attaching carrying case with external speakers for $25. Stay warm this winter in a Burton iPod jacket. For the family, maybe it's time for a home theater system. We bundle a Mac Mini, THX sound system, and an LCD projector. It's adjustable up to 300 inches diagonal for only $1,400. Hello, this is Berkey from Small Dog. Check us out online at smalldog.com or come visit us at the Small Dog Showroom in Waitsfield, Vermont, on the way to Sugarbush and Mad River Glen. And now, Not Mac News with Chris Siebel. At Not Mac News, we're all about taking responsibility for our predictions. Let's take a listen to the February 31st, 2005 Not Mac News MyMac.com podcast. February 31st, 2005. Item, Mac to go Intel. Item, new Intel Macs at Macworld 2006. Item, dual processors in the iMac. Item, dual processors in the MacBook Pro. Item, they have nine months to think of a better name. Item, Steve wears a black turtleneck at Macworld. Clearly. Not Mac News has some excellent sources. In unrelated news, Microsoft has announced that Windows XP Service Pack 3 will be delayed until 2007. The reason Microsoft gave 
was that they are focusing all of their efforts on Windows Vista. The reality is that the programmers of XP Service Pack 3 just wanted to feel a little more Vista-ish by missing deadlines of their own. For Not Mac News, I'm Chris Siebel. Listening to the Dashboard Minute, heard exclusively right here on the MyMac.com podcast. Please hang up and try again. Hi everyone, I'm Guy Searle and this is the Dashboard Minute. I would like to mention that I'm recording this in the new version of GarageBand and that a review of iLife 06 will be posted on the MyMac.com site as soon as I can find the time to write it. So far, I've been very pleased with what I've seen. This, of course, has nothing to do with dashboard widgets, so let's move on. Along with new hardware and software goodies that were announced at Macworld 06, an update to Apple's latest version of OSX was released as well. 10.4.4 is now available as a download, and along with all the revised software and security updates that make up the typical new version, came a few new widgets. Well, some aren't new exactly. Some only have name changes and others have added features. I'm a big fan of alphabetical order, so let's look at them that way. First on the list is Address Book. This, of course, is synced to the Address Book program on your Mac and makes for an easy-to-use way to quickly look up an address without opening the full program. If that was all it did, I'd say whoopee and move on. But it has a few wrinkles in it that make it a little more than what's on the surface. Beginning with the basics, when it is called upon, simply type in a letter and all the corresponding names pop up in a drop-down list. If you click on any of the phone numbers with that name, the number appears in a big black box that's easy to read from a distance. Handy for when you might want some distance from your computer at the phone. If you click on any of the email addresses, Apple's mail program starts up, and a new mail message with the person's email address already filled in is ready to go. Click on an instant message name, and iChat starts up. Lastly, clicking on the address of that record fires up the browser of your choice and brings up the address in MapQuest. This is a pretty neat widget that you can, that you can get easily when you upgrade to OSX 10.4.4. Apple took their old phone book widget and renamed it Business. It is essentially a business resource that allows you to quickly find them at any area code you type in. It even allows for more vague types of searches by just entering, entering in a keyword. Looking for a local Mexican restaurant? Type in Mexican and any business in the search parameters that you've entered has, that has that word in it appears. Clicking on the name that comes up takes you to your browser right to the directory assistant website called Daplus for any more information that might be available. Another new widget is the ESPN widget. Select the sport you want to find out about, then click either scores or news for the latest information from ESPN. Well, the interface is a little wonky in my opinion as you need to click the info circle to jump around to the other side of the widget to select the particular sport you're interested in. 
There are a lot of other widgets around to choose from for sports scores and news. This one is nice, but still needs work. Next up is the calendar widget. Not much to see here. It simply tells you the current date in what looks like a metal flip and allows you to see what the upcoming months will look like. Mostly eye candy with no other interconnectivity to other applications. The widget that falls most into the and this is new because theme is the Google widget. This is a yawner, mostly because others have come out with similar widgets months ago, and this doesn't really add anything new. If Apple wants to wow people with widgets, they need to start with a fresher idea than this. Remember what I said about the business widget? Apply it to the people widget for finding addresses and phone numbers of, yes, you guessed it, people, and it's essentially the same thing. Enter in the first and last name of the person you're looking up, along with a city, state, or zip code, and off it goes. It even goes to the daplus.com site for maps of any results. It works well, but they probably could have combined business and people widgets for ease of use and resources. Lastly is the ski report widget. If you're an avid skier, you'll probably find a lot of use for this widget, but I couldn't. Not being a skier, I couldn't tell you the name of one local resort if my life depended on it. But in case you're interested, type in the name of the resort you frequent, hitting the little info button of course, and it comes back with whether there is any new snow, the base, how many trails are open, and the condition of the snow in general. Okay, well, that's it for today, folks. Apple's new widgets broken down in less than five minutes. Well, close to five minutes, anyway. If you have any questions or comments about the Dashboard Minute, or if there's a widget you like or have made that I haven't covered yet, send me email to dbminute at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and be here again next week on the Dashboard Minute mymac.com podcast. If you're a Mac user and you need a hosting service for your website, why would you want to host your site on anything else but a Macintosh? Anotech has been hosting the MyMac.com website for over seven years, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Are they the cheapest web hosting company in the world? No. Do they offer the largest amount of server space of bandwidth in the world? Of course not. But with Inotech, you don't get pie-in-the-sky false promises, just the best customer service, the most popular hosting service plans, and everything running on the latest Apple Macintosh server gear. Check them out at www.inotech.com backslash MyMac for special pricing. That's www.inno-tech.com backslash MyMac. Inotech, the trusted web server of MyMac.com for over seven years. That's like 49 dog years. And once again, we want to thank uh, Innotech for hosting our website and podcast. And I, I very much enjoyed your... Uh, did you hear that little noise right there? Yeah, I think I did. That was strange. Anyways, I heard that before. And uh, when I first got on your computer today, I heard that... Skype? Blink, uh, is that Skype? It could be. It could be Skype. Uh, and it probably is because we have Skype running and we're joined by Kevin Reeves. And if you're not familiar... Hey, Kevin. Sorry. And if you're not familiar with Kevin Reeves, you have heard his work 
every time you've downloaded this podcast. Well, not every time. We had crappy music for a long time. Well, that's true. But now we have really cool music, and mm-hmm. that was courtesy of Kevin Reeves. Yep. You know, uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you profusely for our intro theme. It's it's so much. I know I said this in the podcast, but it's so much better than anything I could possibly have imagined. Yeah, yeah. it's no problem. I'm uh, glad you like it. I, well, I, I more than like it. I love it. Um, how do you come up with music? Just you know, I know I when we first started talking about doing the intro to our podcast, I had sent you kind of a list of music that. I thought this is the kind of vibe that I'm looking for in the sh- in the podcast. I don't understand how someone like you could listen to that and listen to what we were using before, and really come up with just something just so perfect for us. I mean, it was just like you just figured out exactly what we were looking for, and bam, you just did it. How does that work? Are you a mutant? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I don't know. It's it's one of these deals. You just kind of listen to a lot of different things and you know put it together and uh, you know i had a ba- i had a cool baseline I-, I knew i wanted to do this kind of drop b corn kind of thing um you know so i just uh you know put it together i said you know it's got to be ballsy it's got to be uh real you know just drop the hammer on you you know so i um I don't know, I just kind of wrote that in a couple of hours. Wrote it and recorded it about two or three hours. Wow. Well, I it's, I couldn't come up with that in a couple of years, yeah. so thank you very much. You've got a new song that we're actually going to play here on the podcast that I heard on the Daily Source Code, so if any of our listeners have listened to um, the Daily Source Chord, 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 <laughs> the Daily Source Chord, I like the Chord better, <laughs> um, you've probably heard it. It's called Shine. It's just a really cool song. I actually purchased the song myself. I probably could have snuck a free copy from Kevin or uh, used Audio Hijacks Pro and just recorded it off the net. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was ninety nine cent. How you can't go yeah, wrong. That's right. And it's just a. I love the song, and it's actually in my. I've got a playlist that it's must listen to in the car, mm-hmm. and that one's in there. So, well, it's cool. it's awesome. Um, I understand you've got a whole album coming out though. Yeah, it, um, it's currently mixed in mixing. Uh, thanks to Slough, our friend from the Pod Save for Peace project. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We had him on the show a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, so he's currently mixing it. He just uh, sent me uh, the second song today to listen to and approve. So we got eight more left. And uh, in the next couple weeks, we should uh, we should be ready to roll. So if you guys want to keep track of when that album is going to become available, check out KevinReeves.net. I'll actually put a link onto the show notes. Yeah, so what's the inspiration for your songs? I mean, it sounds like they're all queued up and ready to go for the most part. If you've got eight eight left to go and there are only a couple of weeks left, so... Yeah, the, actually the whole album's recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, all Everything's been recorded over the, the past year and a half. Um, I've been shipping DVDs to, to Astoria Queens. He's been mixing it, you know, and, and for those who are not audiophiles, mixing is where you take, you know, all 48 tracks, you know, all the different instruments, the bass, the drums, the guitar, and you put it together into a cohesive two-track uh, stereo file. So that's how that works. 
I'm not a mixed engineer, so I have called upon the you know the professional to do it. So now, when it comes to all your music, are you alone, or do you have other musicians that are actually recording with you? Um, I, on this record, I had a couple of guys play some stuff for me. I had a, a drummer. Well, there was one guy that played drums, bass, and guitar, and then I had another guitar player come in, and uh, that's pretty much it. It's been three people: two, two of my friends, and myself. That's, so that's pretty. Uh, I mean, it's it's got such a full sound. It's amazing that yeah, uh, that few people could actually make an album and. and I can only go by Shine so far because that's the only one I've heard. But if the rest of the hel- album is anything like that, it just it sounds like a much bigger production than that. Mm-hmm. So I understand you don't use just Macs; that you use a combination of Macs and Windows. Could you explain a little bit to us about your everyday workflow? Not necessarily the yeah. the final mixing because you're not doing that. But if you're going to sit down and record a new song, what do you do? Um, well, I record strictly on a Mac. I I have a PC. I'm currently using it for this Skype call. Um, but uh, they make so good doorstops too. I'm sorry that I'm defiling your program by by <laughs> using a PC. I apologize for that. No, they no they use they're really good for doorstops. I've got one at home uh, and it, it yeah, props a door up really good. But uh, I, I use a PC for you know the the email and internet currently. But I cannot trust a PC to record on. I have a G4 933. And with a gig of RAM, uh, 60 gig hard internal hard drive, uh, a couple external Firewires, Super Drive, and then a Pro Tools Digi 001 setup. Nice. Um, so when I sit down to write a tune, what I use is uh, I've got a, a Kurzweil K2600 keyboard that I do all my like bass and drums on, and then I that's recording via MIDI and audio into Pro Tools. And I've got some software synthesizers as well, which are uh, instruments that you can load up in the program itself, in Pro Tools itself, and use the keyboard to play back the sounds that are on the computer. Um, So that's some things that I do. Um, And I also play some guitar, so I have a Line 6 pod, which has these uh, amp models in it. So you can call up you know, I want this to sound like a Marshall half stack or, uh, you know, a small Fender Twin or something. Well, that's got to uh, save a lot. You can make it sound of, like different things. Yeah, that's got to save a lot of money in the long run. You don't have to go buy in a whole bunch of different instruments. Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, but you know, I, I use, like I said, I use a PC for internet and email and such. But I cannot trust a PC with uh, my recording needs. I it has to be uh, Macintosh only. It just Windows is too cluttery of an operating system, so. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been recording and writing? Um, I, I've been messing with recording and stuff ever since I was fourteen. Uh, I had a four-track recorder. I've kind of you know climbed up the ladder from uh, <laughs> four-track to a you know like a little digital desktop recorder, like a it was a Roland module mm-hmm. that would record audio. Um, and, uh, it's funny because back in the day, like three years ago when I just started college, uh, I was going to get a cakewalk system on a PC. I was going to record on a PC. I had never used a Mac in my life. Hmm. So I was, uh, I didn't know what Pro Tools was. 
you know, we were like System 8 at the time, System 7-5, System 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm a blind musician, so access to speech technology and everything is really, really important. And uh, I did not know that Pro Tools would be accessible with speech. I knew that Cakewalk would, so that's what I was going to get. So I was talking to all these PC guys about like you know what I was going to do, uh, what I was going to buy. And then I found out that I could use Pro Tools. And since the college that I went to was using Pro Tools, I said, well, I don't know anything about Apple. I don't know what the different – I don't know what a G4 is or what, what the difference is between a G4, G3, iMac, whatever. But I'm just going to go out and buy one because the results are great uh, that, that my, my colleagues were getting. Mm-hmm. So I, I had met Slough at the time, and I said, you're going to have to explain all this Mac thing to me. I don't know anything. And um, so he sorted me out, told me what to buy, and I, I bought it. And it's funny. The first thing I, I said when I pulled the Mac out of the box was, okay, they must not have installed the CD-ROM drive because there's no eject button on it. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first reaction. But uh, but I've, I've been doing this ever you know ever since I was 14 uh, and have kind of recently joined the digital Pro Tools kind of revolution, is, if you will, you know, the past two years. Writing, I didn't start writing until uh, I was in college. I've always been co- a composer. Mm-hmm. I could always compose music, instrumental music, but I was never really a good lyricist. Um, and after attending a, a three-month kind of songwriter's boot camp where they kind of you know put you through your paces and kind of helped you realize your potential, I realized, well, I'm actually pretty good at this, so I pursued that a little more. Now, I've got a question for you. You know, obviously you're an independent music singer-songwriter nowadays. Uh, you haven't been signed to a major label. Of, we'll all keep our fingers crossed for that, of course. Yeah. But what has the Internet done for you as a independent singer-songwriter? Has, do you think the Internet has expanded what you can do, or do you think it's more of a hindrance nowadays? Uh, the Internet is the backbone of what I do. It's there is no other way at this point for me to do what I do. You know, I I could record Shine and then you know kind of you know mail it to people, I guess, or you know put it on CD and give it to a friend of mine. But it's not gonna it's not gonna reach the mass audience like it does over the internet. And the version of Shine that you guys have is is actually the new version. I've had an older version that's been hanging around for the past two years. Yeah, you sent uh, that to me. Yep. Oh, I, 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 oh yeah, I did. Yep. We so um, Chan, Chan, when I first played the new version of Shine, what two weeks ago? Yeah. It was the new version, and Chad kept going, "This is different." But I've heard this song before, but it, this is it's different. And I don't remember what you said, how it was different, or oh, much fuller. Yeah. I think that was exactly. He said, "This seems much more full to me than the old right. version." Well, this old version of Shine that I kind of populated around the net was kind of the test. It was the very first song that I ever uploaded to a site, and then you know promoted to people and said, "Hey, grab this." And uh, you know, I, I was in school at the time, and you know, taking music business classes and and kind of thinking about this whole, you know, what's what's this whole internet revolution about? And then I started getting all the emails. Hmm. You know, it got played on some internet radio stations. 
I was getting emails, you know, on a, at least a weekly basis from people saying, "Hey, I love this tune. You know, I, I will buy your CD when it comes out." And I was posting stuff up on Google groups, you know, saying, "Hey, check out this cool song. Go to KevinReeves.net and grab it." And I was giving it away for free at the time because I knew it was just the demo. Sure. But that that was proof to me. I said, "Okay, I got to get this record done, and uh, and get it out on the net." And then as soon as podcasting came into the picture, that was all I needed because that put the fire under me to finish the record. So you think podcasting is going to be the catalyst for future wannabe singer-songwriters? Yes, I think podcasting is – it's it's going to be part of the revolution. It's – you know – not the it 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 is a revolution in and of itself but it's so early and it's so geeky yes still that it's it's not um you know it it hasn't permeated everybody's consciousness yet that's true when i try to explain to somebody what a podcast is the only way you can say it is an internet radio station that you can download to your ipod and they kind of comprehend that but they really don't but at this point Pretty much like any other technology, it's populated by the tech people, mm-hmm. kind of like us. Although, right. you know, we're we're more we try to be less techy on this show than a lot of others for, and we did that on purpose. But I think once podcasting becomes something else, and I don't necessarily mean when the big boys jump in because they're already jumping in, but all they're doing is rebranding their current content. And calling it a podcast. Well, when it becomes media in its own right. Exactly. Yeah, just like radio or television. Then here's what I think needs to happen, and and I don't know if if I if Steve Jobs would ever do this, but I I could foresee like an iPod that you could have Bluetooth enabled, you know, connectivity on it, where you could hook it to your cell phone. And aggregate it would have a little podcast aggregator inside of the iPod. So whenever you're you know either near a Wi-Fi hotspot or you you've got it you know hooked to your cell phone or whatever, it would aggregate your podcast. That makes sense because you're not tied to the computer at all. It's completely independent. I think that's where the revolution needs to go. Yeah, I've talked about for a long time if I had a podcast in, or a uh, iPod in my car that I didn't have to take out when I pulled into my driveway. Uh, via Bluetooth, it would automatically talk to my computer, and the next time I'm getting my car, it's already got new content on the iPod ready to go. Instead of but having th- to take the iPod out, and you know, well, I think what's going to be a great help is going to be the cell phone industry, where you'll be able to, you know, install a little uh, Symbian iPod or podcast aggregator onto your phone, and either play it from your phone or maybe be able to sync it to your iPod. That that's probably going to be the start of it. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm going to see I don't know if I really see that happening because the cell phone companies quite honestly are just way too greedy and I don't think people are going to want to spend any more money to get a free podcast via their cell phone when they can go to their computer and get it that way. I think that, yeah, that's true. The the costs that I mean, you know, Apple is proving that you can sell a song for 99 cents. Mm-hmm. I think they would sell even more for a quarter a pop. They'd probably sell ten times as many songs, and in the right. long run, that's better for the artists. But at $0.99, cent, people are willing to buy a song. The cell phone companies are under the misguided assumption that people on their cell phones will buy a song for 
$2.50, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Uh, they keep talking about how expensive it is to use their networks, and that's why the prices are all high. Mm-hmm. So I don't see them offering a podcasting solution. I really don't, unfortunately. Well, I know that the latest uh, upgrade for the PSP software actually has an RSS feed in there. So, well, uh, an aggregator, so you yeah. can, yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, I, w- I would like to say that uh, you, I think you would have been successful at any time uh, with the quality of your music, but don't you feel like you're just part of this cutting-edge technology artist slash singer-songwriter slash fill in your own title here that you are really on the cutting edge of what's coming oh this is phenomenal you know i oh six is going to be an amazing year because you know i recorded this album in a combination of a bedroom and an apartment i didn't go to a major studio yeah how much would that cost you to have to do that in a major studio though gosh uh i would be you're looking in like twenty thousand dollars, maybe more. You know, you know, there's probably there, way more than that. There's a new show, and I and I only saw the first episode called Love Monkey, and uh, I think it was on CBS, okay. and it and and it was a pretty crappy show to be honest. Mm-hmm. And but the main character was a talent search for a musicians for a yeah. record company, and he gets fired from this record company. He wants to start his own record company, and I, I kept sitting there thinking, this is. The people writing the show really don't understand what's going on right now in the real world because uh, most musicians, I think musicians that are starting out right now or those who haven't really been signed to a major label, mm-hmm. you know, they're not looking for a talent scout to come knocking on their door anymore. Yeah, They're taking their talent onto the internet using programs like Pro Tools to record your own. You don't need the major record labels anymore other than for promotion. That's the only thing that they can offer you anymore. Right, and, and, you know, I think within the next 15, 20 years, I would hope that labels kind of change their angle from molding talent to just being able to find talent and promote talent. Um, you know, I was talking to Slough earlier today, and I said, you know, I don't have a problem with the capitalistic con- concept of what a record label is. You know, we render a service for you. Which is we're we're your liaison between you and the public, and you make a record for us, and we'll you know we'll promote it, we'll take a cut. Well, the problem is there's too many hands in the cookie jar, and there's no you know the artist is not getting as much for their music, and uh, you know people you people say well you're gonna make a lot of money on tours and selling your merch. Well, I want to make money on my record. That's my content. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, on one hand, you don't need a label. On the other hand, it's a good thing if it's if it's done right. And I think within the next 10 or 15 years, these record labels are going to keep a hands-off approach to the music and let the artists just kind of you know do their thing. Obviously, if the album completely sucks and the label doesn't want to put anything behind it, that's that's their call. But uh, it, it, you know, I, you know, there, there's a and I don't watch MTV at all. Um, Period. I hate. Yeah. I, I'm just too old for MTV. I'm 36 years old, mm-hmm. and MTV is geared towards 20 somethings or teenagers. 
But I did stop on MTV, I think it was MTV anyways, and they have a reality show about some guy, young guy, he's 24 years old, I think they said, mm-hmm. who was in a boy band. Ashley Parker Angel. Yeah, okay, in there you go. Yeah, yeah he was in O-Town? Yeah. Is, has the show actually started? Yeah, it, it's actually started. He was in that old, it was a reality TV show called Making the Band, where they started their own yes. band. Yeah. And that, he you was know, in the first one. And that he was very, it, that was a very popular, they sold a lot of albums. And this sold guy, one, yeah, off one album, but <laughs> but well, nevertheless, I mean, it, mm-hmm. if 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 somebody else sold that many albums and they actually control, if Kevin sold as many albums as O Town over the internet, he wouldn't be talking to us right now. He'd be a rich guy. He wouldn't have to yeah. talk to us. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But but my point is, you know, they made all this money, and now he he lives at his mother in law's house, mm-hmm. and he's his wife. He's broke. Yeah, he's trying to work in record stores now, so. You know, I I agree with you, Kevin, that they're going to have to do something, they being the record companies, um, or they're going to go out of business. But the problem is I don't think they're ever going to do anything, and I think they're all going to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy long before they try to change their business plans. Well, I, you know, I agree with Slough, you know, in that, you know, a, a, a lot of the podcasting community is saying things like, you know, labels are dead, radio is dead. No, that stuff is still un- unfortunately it's alive and well. Uh, a lot of it is. What we need to do as a podcasting community is is just do our thing. You know, play our play our favorite songs. You know that we like on our on our podcasts. Play. You know, uh, us artists need to just put out quality music and just kind of show the world that you know this is. This can be done, and this is being done, and then somehow I don't know because the labels are huge. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to influence them, but we could influence the buying public. Is I think where where we need to go is to convince the buying public that you know what you're being fed on on clear channel stations is is not art. It's not. It's it's most of it's just teeny bopper crap. If we can get them to do that and stop buying records from the major labels, uh, then maybe that would send a message. But well, Chad and I wrote, uh, read a uh, news report earlier in the show. Um, iTunes reaches fourteen percent of active internet universe, and now when you think about how many people are on the internet, and fourteen percent of all those people are using iTunes, yeah, what's better than than that? As far as Apple and podcasters are concerned, because that's where we're at. We're we're broadcasting our shows. Kevin's broadcasting his music over iTunes. Mm-hmm. Thus, we're reaching fourteen percent of internet users, and that figure is only going to go up. And that's only iTunes. Yeah. That doesn't take right, into right. consideration Podcast Alley, um, you know, and all these other venues that we mm-hmm. have to put our content out there in front of new listeners. So. Yeah. Um, well, and the the thing is, through services like CD Baby, it's really easy for an artist to get into iTunes as an artist, you know, and and say, you know, how great is it for for somebody just to walk up and say, hey, where can I buy your record? You say, I, I'm in iTunes. Yeah. Oh, no problem. That's easy, you know. Um, and hopefully they have it. But what's great is CD Baby will submit your music to like 51 different digital download services, so you're available everywhere. But but yes, it, it it is an amazing thing, and uh, 
there's a part of me that 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 really the idealistic part of me is very much this is a revolution we need to kill radio and all this because I I hate the state of the music industry currently, yeah. but on the other hand, God, they're so big, you know, it's such a big thing going on and and you obviously would like to be able to pay a mortgage. Uh, well, I, yeah, but you know, people ask me if I want to get a deal, and I, I, I'm gonna—I'll do it if the terms are good. I'm not actively pursuing a deal, and there's a there's a difference in the way you approach your career. You know, the people that are actively you know pursuing a deal, they'll change anything about their music to do that. Yep. Now, for me, I'm just gonna put my record out, and you know, I'll send it to labels, I guess, send it to as many people as possible. Get people to know that it's available. Spread the seed out as far as I can and see what what grows from it. If a label comes to me and says, you know, we really love this record, we, we really love you uh, as a person, we think you got great great talent, we'd like to you know work with you, then great, you know. But I, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a real independent uh, kind of self sufficient person, and I, I have to be able to live in that environment. If I'm on a label, I have to be able to record my own record. So Kevin Reeves I'm, isn't going down to the crossroads, I take it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, the, the, in short, if I'm offered a deal that's good, I'll accept it because that's not selling out. What's selling out is when you change your yeah. your path or your your personal journey just to get a deal. Yeah, you know? I, I, uh, I agree you with know, you. It's not going to happen. Yep. Now – as an artist, we've all heard, you know, how the RIAA is suing people for uploading and downloading music, and that's such an evil thing because uh, we have to protect the artists, and people are stealing from the artists. And really, mm-hmm. what the RIAA is worried about is stealing from the, you know, the record companies. As an artist yourself, are you really worried about people uh, downloading your music for free? Is that really no. a big concern? I'll tell you why. Because. The kids that that download music will always download music. Um, the people that'll buy music will always buy music, and uh, that's just how it is. The people that want to support artists will. Uh, I, I'm actually gonna after having my album out a year. So let's say the album comes out, you know, February. Okay. So February of '07, I'm gonna put it up on Kaza. Hmm. See what happens. Hmm. But you know, for the first year, I'm not going to actively pursue the whole free downloading. Everybody can pirate my crap. But you know, maybe a year from now, just we'll see where sales are. But um, you know, I just think that people that want to support artists will, and people that want to freely download will. But there's also another factor to this: the people that some people that freely download music. Do it because they, they want their content where they want it and when they want it. And uh, so all this DRM stuff, that kind of hinders sales because if I buy a record and I can't play it on my $60 Siren MP3 player that I bought, I'm going to be pissed. That's just not a good deal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I, I bought that, and I want to be able to put it where I want it. I think that's another reason that there's downloading rampantly going on because everything's so locked down, even you know, even in the iTunes world. Uh, and the third thing is that who wants to pay sixteen to seventeen bucks for a disc? 
10 bucks is the magic number, whether it's a physical disc or a download. Yeah. That's what I believe. Yeah, I agree with you. Right. I vow that anywhere you go to buy my record, it will be $10, no more. Period. Well, I could say that I spent 99 cent for Shine myself, and like I said, I, I could probably have got it for free, but it was a purchase when I made it. I thought, eh, I know that where that money's going. It's right. going to the right. artist who created that song. And, you know, as a buying, as someone who likes to listen to a lot of different types of music, mm-hmm. other than country, I hate country. Um, <laughs> my wife's a country listener, go figure. Yeah. Um, I like it when I know that my money's going to the artists. Right. And it's very, nowadays we can do that, but for a long time, forever pretty much, you, you can never do that. You can never right. and, support the artist. You know, there's a service called All of MP3. Yep. I use it on a daily basis, but I'm getting like major, major label back catalog stuff, you know, like, oh, I want to hear this old Todd Rundgren album. Yeah. I'll just download it. I'm not hurting anyone. No, because you, the, you, the, you wouldn't have bought it to begin with. In the grand scheme of things. Yeah, because you, you never would have bought that in the first place. So how are they losing money? So, you know, this this whole internet revolution and podcasting revolution is a way for artists and listeners to be connected to each other. And I think that's that's the where the revolution starts. Uh, yeah. Well, Kevin, we've got to wrap this up, and I'd like to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts and wish you luck with the new album. I definitely want to thank you for our kick-ass intro. That's no just, problem. Dude, it's, you, you just don't know what that did. I could not wait for uh, to get together with Chad when I first heard it and went, dude, you got to listen to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's This is the stuff right here. Uh, KevinReeves.net K-E-V-I-N-R-E-E-V-E-S dot net and that's where you're going to find all the information I understand you are updating your website now so uh, people should probably keep going back to it until the new update is all there actually the, the when's the last time you've been up there oh about three seconds ago oh, okay yeah um, I, I switched providers so I'm you know I've got a lot of new content added to the site now and you can play a clip of Shine. Uh, there's a button up there to, to buy it. Now, I because of the provider that I have, I have to send it manually now when you buy it because hmm. um, the PHP code isn't working properly. So hmm. no worries on that. If you buy the song, I will send it within four hours or whatever if, as soon as I get it. If I get it, I'll send it in five minutes. But, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, so, yeah, check the site out. And it's going to be, you know, uh, an ongoing update. We're going to uh, end the podcast here, but we're going to end it by playing Kevin Reeves' song, Shine.
inside of me that's been dying just to for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.